0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Duck's Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, and I'm the publisher and lead editor of Duck's Digest, and I get to cover that Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated over on Fan Nation. It's been an absolute blast. Uh, We have a a very special episode of the podcast coming to you live from uh, youtube.com slash OregonFootballMaxTaurus. So whether you guys are uh, listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or if you're tuned in here live, I appreciate you guys taking some time out of your day to uh, talk some ducks with us. Uh, And we have plenty to talk about. With uh, a national signing day edition here on uh, Wednesday, February second, I'm joined by my good friend Dylan Rubin King, A.K.A. Rube, as I like to call him. Uh, kind of a running inside joke that we have. Dylan, you are the man of the hour in my book. You know, if you guys aren't following Dylan on Twitter at drk sports news, you are missing out on some amazing duck content. Dylan has been absolutely killing the game for us uh, with graphic design uh, of late, among other things. He, he hops on these podcasts with me. He uh, you know, edits a ton of stuff, writes a bunch of stuff for us over on uh, Duck's Digest. So um, I, I got to give you a shout out, Dylan. You've been doing some awesome stuff for us.
2: How the heck are you? <laughs> uh, kind of gassed after that uh, intro, but uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. It's been a really exciting day. Everybody that I thought was going to commit and sign did. Um, you know, everybody that I made graphics for last night signed, so that's good. Um, I was kind of selfishly hoping that there wasn't going to be any more just because I didn't make any more. Um, but I'm I'm glad with the with the crew that they brought on.
1: Yeah, man. We we definitely have to talk about the, the new additions to, to Oregon's 2022 class. There were also some some guys that were already committed, but um they were just verbal commits. They they chose to to hold off uh you know, putting the pen to paper during that early signing period. And, uh, I think kind of as a result of that, it, it felt like this one was a little bit more eventful than, than the early signing period. Right. And I think if, if you're a lot of these recruits, it, it makes sense for you to hold off, you know, putting that pen to paper. Um, because as you see, you know, with the coaching carousel, you know, some guys, they put the pen to paper, um, and, uh, you know, things change in the blink of an eye and, and you can be looking at a, a pretty messy situation, but nonetheless, the, the ducks did, uh, land three new commitments today which we are going to talk about in this episode of the podcast um before we kind of break things down and there's a bunch of stuff to get into i don't know if we're even going to be able to hit all of it in our uh you know hour-long show tonight um but do want to uh give a thank you to everyone that's watching live and uh you know encourage you guys to hop in the the live chat and and the comments maybe throw some questions our way and uh you know depending on how things shake out with the uh um, you know, kind of break down here tonight. We'll uh, do our best to to get to some of those and, and want to keep uh, boosting that interaction. And this show is for you guys, the fans, the listeners, the viewers. So just wanted to throw that out there before we break it all down. So Dylan, I think what I want to start with, um, you know, it was a, a super busy day, you know, for us over at Ducks Digest. I was texting you all day, uh, as you well know. Um, things got started early. I mean, I, I was up at, at 530 getting ready to, you know, get my coffee and, and get on the keyboard, get behind the keyboard, and, and start firing stuff off. And uh, you know, it really started with uh, these um, the coaching the coaches. I wasn't say coaching pressers, but um, you know, Oregon Sports Network held a uh, you know national signing day event, and this was really our, our first chance to to meet all of these new hires. Uh, we saw them at the the basketball game against Oregon State. They were you know participating in the T shirt toss. You had uh, Tosh Lapoy uh on the the shirt cannon and it was really cool but this was our first chance to, to ultimately you know hear from these coaches and get to know a little bit more about them
2: yeah it was super cool to you know kind of get to hear from them i didn't uh you know it, it seemed like they've been hired for a bit a lot of them and we hadn't really gotten introduced to them you know as members of the media or you know uh, the oregon fan base um you know you kind of saw those introductory um you know, stories that would go up on Go Ducks and the stories that we would write. So you kind of get some background knowledge, but, you know, there's a little bit of difference between what's on their bio and, you know, who they are as people and who they are as coaches. So um, we've gotten a, lo- a look at Dan Lanning the last couple, you know, what, month and a half that he's been hired. So you kind of get a feel for him, but now you're starting to get a feel for Carlos Lachlan and Tosh Lapoy and Matt Polage. And even on Twitter, like if you guys don't follow them on Twitter, you get a and Kenny Dillingham, especially, you get a, a good gist of what they're like as people on on Twitter. It's pretty fun. That's one of the the coolest things
1: uh, about this staff, I think, and and part of that probably can be uh, attributed to you know their their youth and you know make how relatable they are with a lot of these uh, current players and recruits. You know that's been one of the the talking points for from these guys that have been uh, coming through Eugene to to uh, check out Oregon football and, and see what's going on, what the vision is with, with this new staff. I think one of the coaches that I, I really enjoyed hearing from in particular today was Carlos Lachlan, the, the new running backs coach, just hearing a little bit more about his story. That dude is just locked in uh, no pun intended, but man, <laughs> that works perfectly. Um, but seriously, I mean, he's just grinding all the time. He was talking about, you know, you can ask coach Lanning, you can ask my, my wife, I am on 24 seven, it's football 24 seven. I don't sleep. Uh, it's not, uh, it's not a, um, shoot. I can't remember what it wasn't. Um, it was something along a lifestyle, man. I was on a roll there for a second, but it was just about him saying he's completely bought in to football. And it's it's just his main focus and he's he's not stopping. And and I think that um when you look at you know a little bit of the uncertainty that the ducks have kind of seen at the running back position, you know, with, with uh Travis Dye and, and Trey Benson both uh, electing to transfer, um, you know, it I think if I'm an Oregon fan, I I, I can't listen to what Coach Laughlin is saying and not get fired up and not have some confidence that that this is is ultimately you know a, a guy that can really get the job done and take the Oregon running backs to the next level
2: yeah and I love that you got to ask coach Lanning about him uh, at the presser today and he was saying you know he got it at the mud this is a guy that's earned everything that he's got and you know the fact that he's now at a, a power five program and he's he's the running backs coach it's uh you know it says a lot about him and I know Dan Lanning was saying something about how they were uh you know they were up late at night drawing plays on a mirror last night um you know they all live in a in a house together or some of them do and I could probably bet that that coach Lachlan was, was there helping out drawing, drawing plays up on the, on the mirror. So uh, yeah, he's a guy that I absolutely love following on Twitter. It was dope to hear him uh, talk kind of for the first time. He's just an energetic guy. I mean, if you were kind of missing some of the energy from guys like Aaron Feld and Joe Salovea that you saw on Twitter, um, you know, you're, you're not lacking with, with Carlos Lachlan at all. I mean, this guy is just a ball of energy, uh, you know, if you need any sort of motivation or, uh, just need to get pumped up for the day. Check out his Twitter or uh, listen to the guy talk because he is uh, he's he's awesome. I'm a big fan already.
1: Yeah, I'm just looking at some more of the uh, some more of the quotations that I, that I tweeted out this morning um, you know, over on Twitter. at MTOR sports and uh, just some of them that stick out to me. He says, I'm a very competitive person. I look at all the top running backs coaches across the country. No knock on them, but they motivate me and I'm coming with these young guys. We're coming. And, and I just, I, I can't help, but get fired up here that, uh, especially with all the youth that the Oregon running back room. Uh, now I was going to say exudes, but I don't know if that's the right word because that's just the fact of the matter, Is It is a very young uh, room. I don't know if the ducks are still thinking about maybe adding a guy from the transfer portal. Jarek Broussard did end up committing to Michigan state. He was looking like the ducks uh, top option uh, at running back out in the portal. Um, but Oregon did add a, a commitment from Jordan James. Maybe we can kind of segue into uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, some breakdown on, on the guys that we want to talk about. Uh, Ducks earning a signature from Jordan James uh, here on National Signing Day, flipping him from the defending champions, the, the Georgia Bulldogs. And uh, that was the first commitment of the, of the day for the Ducks. And, uh, man, it's, it's definitely a, a good way to get things started.
2: Yeah, that one took me by surprise a couple of weeks ago. I remember we were talking about how you know they had interest in him, but he was verbally committed to Georgia still. And the fact that he never decommitted, I think it says something about the Georgia coaching staff as well, just to be able to hang on to him through that entire process up until the very end. Um, but he didn't sign. He was, I think I read that he was out of town when the early signing period happened. Um, But the fact that he had a a relationship already with Coach Lanning, he had a relationship with Coach Lachlan, I believe, um, from what I heard. And he's just a phenomenal running back. I think they really needed a running back for this class. It looked like for most of the time, they weren't going to get one. And this is a very, very good one to get, as you can see. And as Coach Lanning said, he's a one play, uh, touchdown kind of guy. He's a guy that can, you know, absolutely fly. He's you know, not super built. I mean, 5'10", 205, it's impressive for, for 200, um, You know, a 200-pounder as a senior in high school. Um, but he plays with power. He plays with speed. And he's got a really good vision. He also had a really good offensive line that gave him wide open holes to run through. And having an experienced offensive line in Eugene will definitely help him. But I think this is a guy that could contribute right away. You look at Byron Cardwell's probably projected to be number one uh, on that running back room. And then Sean Dollar's coming back healthy. And, uh, you know, we'll see what uh, what seven McGee does if he gets into the running back room. But I think Jordan James is a guy that can contribute um, right away. I mean, he's just a bowling ball. He's just running right off of dudes. It's pretty fun to watch.
1: Yeah, we're looking at some some film over here on, on YouTube of Jordan James's senior season with Oakland High School out there in Tennessee. I think some of the things that stand out to me, Dylan, I mean, uh, I, I really like his running style. It's just I, for me, I feel like the word that kind of stands out is is rugged. You know he has his little kind of arm swing, um, but he just it's it's tough, hard nosed football. You know I think it's 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 kind of that brand that that um you know the the ducks probably want to establish. You know given how they've prioritized uh, the trenches um, in the twenty twenty two recruiting class, and and the guy is agile. He can he can really uh, change direction and and scoot around defenders. And uh, you know, I I think back to how we were talking about Carlos Lachlan earlier, and and when he was talking on uh, you know the coach's show this morning, he laid out a couple of the the criteria that he really prioritizes in his running backs, um, and and that's uh that's owning the ball, so you know hanging on, uh hanging on to the ball. I think were kind of the words that he was saying. I might be pra- paraphrasing a little bit, but I think you'll find almost any coach really prioritizes that. You know, Oregon Oregon fans know how uh, costly fumbles can be. Uh, based on uh, you know some pretty big games uh, in in the past few seasons, um, but then also uh, being able to initiate contact on your own terms, I believe was the phrasing, and then avoid contact on your own terms um, what was a really interesting way to put it. Uh, and you want to have guys that that are you know versatile and and not afraid of the contact, but they can also have that finesse to their game to to scoot around defenders and and uh, you know um, obviously like we saw with some of the James's highlights keep plays going, you know, never, never say die kind of an attitude and, and mentality. So that's something I, I really like with, with James here. But um, the, the cool thing is that obviously there's the on-field impact, you know, you see Oregon's running back room, Byron Carbo looks like he's, uh you know, poised to be the number one back, but there's a, a lot of time between now and, uh, you know, even spring football uh, and, um, you know, fall camp. So a lot can happen in that time, but we do know for a fact that the ducks lost DJ Verdell and Travis Dye. So you figured that they needed to make an addition here at running back some way or another. Um, and I think with, with, uh, the addition of James, uh, he seems like another, uh, physical runner, like Carbwell McGee's, uh, kind of stands out as that, uh, you know, finesse option right now. Very versatile. We talked, I talked with, um, I talked with Steven last night about uh, you know the possibility of maybe seeing a two back set under Kenny Dillingham and, and how cool it would be to to be able to, to just have more options to to flex and, and move seven around. And then you have Sean Dollars who I think is kind of a tweener on the on the limited sample size that we've seen. But having some some backs that are, are real physical and, and can also uh, you know have that home run speed like we saw with James on, on a lot of his his plays are is really crucial um, and, and good to have. And the other thing that I wanted to get into Dylan with, with this edition of Jordan James, the ducks get back into the Southeast, um, which I think is definitely a huge storyline that, that maybe isn't being talked about enough with this commitment. Obviously duck fans know how, uh, how much uh, their presence in the Southeast took a hit when, um, when Mario Cristobal, uh, you know, decided to leave for Miami, TJ Dudley and, you uh, TJW uh, ended up committing to Clemson today. Uh, Tanner Bailey uh, committed to South Carolina. And then there's a lot of uh, people out in Texas that, that the Ducks you know, ultimately lost out on. But I think that's another big added benefit of, of getting this commitment from Jordan James and, and doing it on National Signing Day on that, when the Ducks and every other team is under that national spotlight.
2: And to get him over two SEC schools as well, including one he was already committed to. Um, yeah, this one was really impressive for me. The fact that they were able to, you know, get that last visit right before the signing day and the fact that they were able to convince him that, you know, Oregon is the place for you. I mean, George, it's it's hard to choose against a, the reigning national champion, one that you've been signed on to for, you know, 10 months. I mean, it's it's super impressive no matter where he goes. Um, you know, it's impressive to pry someone away from, from that. Um, and of course, Georgia has an incredible history of, pumping out running backs. Um, you mentioned the word rugged when you were talking about Jordan James. I agree with that, but I also am kind of reminded of like Alvin Kamara when he was coming out of college where, you know, he could put his shoulder down and run through you, but he's also super slippery and smooth. Like there were a couple of times where he ran through defenders and he was standing straight up. Like it looked like they hardly even touched him. Um, and, you know, he's just bowling through guys standing up, which is really impressive. Um, he looks bigger on screen than, you know, he's listed at 5'10". He just, he looks taller and um, I don't know, He's he's got long legs for a guy that's 5'10". And um, I'm really impressed with, you know, his statistics. Looks like he's got over 3,600 yards uh, in the last two years alone and 52 rushing touchdowns. So, you know, no shortage of production in his high school career and getting into the Southeast, especially in this class where it seems like there's been an emphasis almost on the Northwest and, and Oregon, which of course, That's, you know, as Dan Lanning said, you have to you have to attack home first. You got to get you got to get wins at home. But, you know, there's plenty of guys that have that experience recruiting in the SEC and in that southeast area and going to Tennessee, which is a place that, you know, even the the last coaching staff hadn't really delved into too much. Um, You know, it's really impressive to show that, you know, yeah, we can get the guys at home, but we can go take, you know, a kid out of the reigning national championship. Uh, team, you know, just right out of their backyard, pretty much.
1: Dan Lanning and the rest of the Oregon staff securing a big win, uh, you know, in this recruiting battle uh, that we see uh, unfold on national signing day over the likes of Georgia and Florida. Um, you know, and I think it says a lot about, you know, the faith that that James clearly has in this Oregon staff and, and for them to get him as late as they came on, I think says a lot. Um, you know, I think once, you uh, once Lachlan and, and Landing kind of got on the same page with the rest of the staff, we saw two backs, uh, I guess we could say three with um, Broussard as well, kind of emerge as uh, priorities for the staff. So we had Broussard, Jordan James, and Andrew Paul uh, out of uh, Dallas, and he they actually kind of ended up trading running backs, right? James commits to Oregon, and Andrew Paul ends up committing to Georgia after, uh, you know, obviously a successful trip out to Athens over the weekend and the days leading up to National Signing Day. Dylan, I want to uh, talk about Lanning just kind of overall, um, and you know, really, I think um, you know the the mood that that uh, I feel like I'm kind of getting from, <clears throat> excuse me, from from the Oregon fan base uh, now that we've had, um, you know, I think almost almost two months uh, since he got hired officially. I think is kind of the the range that we we're, we're um, you know a- approaching right now. I think the, the easiest way to, to start this kind of topic is you have a young guy, and uh, you know this is his first head coaching job, and the easiest way that I can put it, the simplest way I can put it, Dan Lanning has bought in 1 million percent to any and everything that makes Oregon unique and fun, whether that be as a brand, as a university, as a team, and we're seeing the results of it pay off right in front of our eyes.
2: You know, it just having you say that, talking about him being bought into everything—not just a program or program, I should say. Yes, um, we're a program yeah. podcast. We're a program podcast here. I, I, I heard, I heard the uh, reference on one of the last shows. Um, yeah, th- the fact that he's bought into not just that, but the university and and the community as well. It reminds me of when after Cristobal left, and there was this just constant wash of we need someone who understands the university and the program and the, you know, everything that it's about and what they're working towards. And, you know, when they brought in Dan Lanning, it seemed like it was kind of hit or miss with the fan base. Like some people were all in on the fact that he was, you know, he just led the Georgia Bulldogs to the, you know, the best defense in the country in a national championship. Um, And people were excited that he was young and it was an elite recruiter. And then some people were like, well, he's never been a head coach before. And he doesn't understand, you know, he's not really a West coast guy. He doesn't really understand what we're after. And after listening to him and talking to him a couple of times, since he's been hired in the last month and a half, two months, I don't think that's really the case where you can say that he doesn't understand it. I think he understands it just as well as, you know, you thought he would maybe two, three years from now. So I'm really impressed with how much he's starting to get it just being in Eugene now for, about a full month since the the Georgia Bulldogs won the championship. I think he's been in Eugene close to a month now. Um, And it's really exciting that he's so bought in and he's bought in with the coaching staff and, and, you know, the players that were there and the players that they're bringing in. Um, I think he just checks all the boxes. You know, they wanted a guy who could recruit at the level of uh, Mario Cristobal and that staff. And of course, he's brought in so many guys that can do that as well. But the fact that he's a younger coach and he's it's kind of fresh almost. Um, and X's and O's, you know he's, you know, a great defensive mind and he's brought on tons of great offensive and defensive minds and guys that are passionate about football, obviously, as we've talked about, guys that are passionate about recruiting and you know, guys that are passionate about Oregon. So I'm really excited. I my expectations were really high for you know, them replacing this coaching staff because there were a lot of guys that just were very committed to. Oregon in this program. And, uh, I am loving what I'm seeing so far out of Dan Lanning and his staff.
1: It's hard not to be impressed with what we've seen from landing so far. Um, and I feel like, you know, anytime you, you wanna, uh, as we kind of are right now, let's be honest, heaping praise on a coach. Um, I, I think you do have to take it with a grain of salt and, you know, uh, acknowledge that we have to see what the on-field product looks like, but where we are right now, Dylan. In February, on National Signing Day, we're evaluating him for everything that we're able to see the results of right now, and in large part, that is uh, the results on the recruiting trail, uh, the buy-in from the current players, the the unity from the staff that we're seeing on, on the uh, all these coaching pressers, and he's knocking it out of the park for and on all of those aspects. You know, he's taught. You see, uh, we're talking about buying in Look at the the buy in that we've seen with with the Nike brand. I think that's huge. You know, you see him in these pictures on social media, really playing up. Uh, you know, all the the awesome shoes that he's getting hooked up with. Um, you know, he he's realizing everything that that Mario Cristobal did. I think to to uh, take advantage of of the brand that is Oregon, that is Oregon football, that is Oregon athletics, and he's he's just showing that he's more or less, I would say, picking up right where he left off. And I think that that's really been, you know, exemplified in getting all these former commits back. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's easy to, to land guys, but you got, you see these former uh, commits hopping back in the fold. Uh, you know, I think that it was a great idea and great strategy for, for the staff to be able to, to make last weekend's recruiting visits. So, uh, so impactful once you get them on campus, I mean, Dave Eulie said it today. I feel like you know he you know he felt the love in, in Eugene, and um, it's just a really special place. We we saw it with Sir Mel's, uh, you know, all the way back in June after the recruiting dead period ended. Once you get guys on campus, it, it just really starts selling itself, and then you bring in all these uh, recruiters and, and coaches with with great experience, and it just really starts snowballing. And and I think a lot of the momentum that we're seeing them you know build and kind of pick up off of I mean you saw let me backtrack for a second here I'm getting a little riled up but after Crystal Ball left it, it seemed Dylan, like we couldn't refresh Twitter fast enough to, to see the next guy decommit and then to get all the way to this point now where I believe uh, on uh, 247 it has them you know right at uh, 25 you know right in that top 25 range for the 2022 class it's pretty remarkable the the way that uh, Oregon is really poised to finish here and, and they might not be done.
2: There are guys that commit to a coaching staff or a coach. There are guys that commit to a program. Maybe they grew up a fan of it. And then there's some people that commit to the university. And I feel like when you go to Oregon and you visit that campus and you talk to the coaching staff, um, the last coaching staff or this one, it just seems like from everybody I've talked to and everybody I've read up on, it just seems like they buy in to everything. And especially now, I mean, the university, I mean, we both graduated from there. The university is impressive. Um, you know, I've never heard anybody that visited there say anything negative about it. Um, and the facilities are, are top notch. The coaching staff is like you said, bought in um, there's, I don't know. There, it's just a, a brilliant, um, you know, job by the, this coaching staff to, keep that momentum going because yeah, there was that little dip where there were a, a lot of guys that, you know, entered the transfer portal that were on the roster and then guys that decommitted. And then, you know, it just seemed like we're waiting for uh, the the new coaching staff to come in and it just seems like everything's falling off. And now we sit a month and a half later and we're praising the heck out of the coaching staff. And, and you know, it, we're the organs back in the top 25, um, Approaching really close at the top of the Pac-12, I believe they're sitting at number three right now. If I'm not mistaken, according to 247 in the conference. Um, so of course there was a ton of work done. It's like you said, it's not easy to to get guys, but the fact that they got Florence back, they got Yuli back, they got Winston back. Um, you know that's that's huge. Of course you would like to get some more of those guys back, but you know um, it's it's a fit thing. It's a priority thing. You know not everybody's going to be um, you know wanting to fit in with a certain scheme a certain system you know um so i'm really excited that they were able to get back the guys that were able to get back um you know and i think florence and, and yuli i think that send them sent a message to some of the other guys that committed and signed recently uh, especially trajan williams you we were talking about that a little bit Um, you know and i think with guys in the future in 2023 and 24 maybe that sends a message too
1: yeah, you mentioned, you know, sending a message to Trajan Williams. I, I think kind of what you're getting at is just that Oregon as a state is going to be prioritized and they want to get the best guys uh, for in-state. Before we talk about more specific players, Don, I kind of just wanted to wrap up on uh, the, the point that we kind of got into here with just the buy-in that we're seeing from Lanning and how it's really having a trickle-down effect because he's talking about wanting to to spend as much time with the players uh, as he possibly can you know both he himself obviously and the the staff as a whole that's obviously going to be super important with with kind of getting everybody on the same page um but um shoot i, I forgot what i was going to say give me just a second um so we we'll see how we're talking about the buy-in oh and then also i think with with the um with the class that they have in place right now in, in 2022 we talked about how they may not be done I think that the, the staff has been uh, selective. I think what's kind of interesting is you saw how poor the situation was as far as the, the class that they inherited with so many people uh, reopening their recruitment. But um, I think also you, you see that, that, um, that they, need, they obviously needed help at a lot of spots. And there's no doubt in my mind, you know, look at a, a receiver, for example. You think there's nobody on the recruiting trail or, you know, from the transfer portal that wants to play wide receiver at Oregon? I don't care that there's unknowns about the offense right now. I, there's no doubt in my mind that somebody wanted to come and, and take that spot and fill that need. But I think the Oregon staff should be, um, you know, should be congratulated or you know acknowledged for the fact that they're not just taking commitments left and right. Uh, they're sending out offers left and right, and that's a whole another uh, discussion. Um, but I think um, it's just really interesting to see how they've kind of uh, approached that. Um, as far as, you know, still trying to, to fill some missing pieces. Um, but uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about with the buy-in with Lanny, and sorry, this is the last point that I, I'm remembering now, was the, the connection with the former players. Uh, I think that that is, is a huge piece of the equation um, as far as just having a healthy program. Uh, you know, we're seeing, uh, like I just talked about Coach Lachlan. Uh, you know, posting all these pictures with, with former guys, you know, former Ducks, legendary Ducks at that, I think the last one that I saw was him and Legarrette Blunt, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, hanging out. Um, so he, he's making sure that these that he has these healthy relationships with the players that they feel like Oregon's a place they want to come back to that they can be proud of uh, that it's it's their program because that was one of the first things he said was it this is the program wouldn't be what it is with without the players. So that was kind of a ton of different points, Dylan. But um, <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I, I hit on that before we got too far from it.
2: Yeah. Which one do I want to tackle? Um, I think the former players thing is really important just because of after the Cristobal thing and entering the coaching staff, there was that letter that came out that I don't want to get too much into because I don't remember what all it said. But it just seemed like there was kind of this tension between um, it, maybe that's the right word. Maybe it's a little too strong, but um, it seemed like there kind of was this little they were off put, I guess. Some of the the alumni, former players that, you know, made the program what it is um you know there was kind of they were just kind of off put a little bit by the coaching staff and I think that hearing about coach Lanning talk to you know all these guys over zoom and meeting all these guys and you know with Haloti Nona Kenyon Barner LeGarrette Blunt, that just sends a message too about you know they have so much priority with when they get to Oregon when they're a new staff there's you know, talking with the current guys, there's talking to the transfer portal guys, there's, you know, connecting with each other even. And maybe it seems like those, you know, former players kind of get left behind. They're not the top priority because it seems like everything is, is so important with, you know, who's currently on your roster and who you're trying to get. But the fact that they made them a priority, you know, within the first month or so um, that says a lot about, you know, the attention that, that they, uh, the attention to detail that they have towards making this program, um, great again. I don't want to say great again, but you know what I mean? Like they, they want they want it to be, like you said, something that the alumni can be proud of. And, you know, it represents something that, um, you know, is, is the Oregon Ducks, the Oregon football program. It's it's back to being a national powerhouse.
1: Yeah. And I think kind of maybe the point you were trying to get at is I, I think that Lanning and the staff really just want to, to get Oregon to where they know it's capable of being, you know, we've seen how strong the, the program has been in recent years. You know, the 2021 season definitely left a lot to be desired in various areas. And, and, you know, anytime you have a coach leave um, it, it's going to, you know, create some, some tension and, you know, some uncertainty, but I think the way that Lane's approaching this um, just shows that there's incredible, incredible attention to detail and then from a recruiting aspect, I think there was some coach that said it today uh, or staffer. It might have been Marshall Malco, who is just a baller of, of a hire by by landing. And we could have a whole video talking about him. Maybe it was him that said there are no small things in recruiting. Um, and, and we're just seeing that with, uh, you know, the, the interviews that we have with guys that are committing that that come to Oregon and, and, and share their experience and what it's like walking around and interacting with everything. Um, so I think that that's definitely an encouraging sign, uh, if you're a fan, you know, as you kind of, uh, weigh out, you know, still kind of being in a little bit of limbo and just not knowing what next season is going to look like. But when you get good recruits, uh, you know, come into the ducks, you're, you're certainly setting yourself up for success.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's all kind of speculation at this point, cause we don't really know what next season is going to look like. Um, but I mean, the future does look very, very bright. Um, And the thing is, is that I always think about, and I think we've talked about before is like, it could have been a lot worse for, you know, a program like Oregon. They were in a good place when Mario Cristobal left. Um, You know, obviously you talk about the guys that entered the portal and, um, and decommitted, but overall, there was still a ton of talent on the roster and they were probably still going to be, you know, um, a favorite in the PAC 12 regardless. But it just seems like there, there was, a lot of momentum to be upheld and that's not an easy thing to uphold, especially for a guy who's never been a head coach before. And a lot of guys who are in, you know, power five roles for the first time, even um, if you want to extend it that far, um, you know, Oregon is a program that's, you know, very historic. If you, you know, you think about just the last 10, 20 years, um, you know, there's been a, there've been a lot of successful elite teams. Um, and that's a huge reason why so many, prospects want to go to Oregon why so many coaches want to go to Oregon is because of the success that they've shown and I feel like when the last couple years when they have this momentum on the field and they kind of come up short especially last year losing three of the last four games and a couple of them in blowout fashion it's kind of like they're they're just a couple pieces away and then the coaching the coach leaves and um the decommitments happen and you're just kind of like okay where are we where are we going here um And it didn't seem like there were a ton of options where, you know, they would be at where they were toward the end of the season or better. And it seems like they're at least at where they were at the end of last season. Um, You know, I I don't think there's any reason to be um, concerned about anything we've seen so far with the coaching staff and the players that they've brought in, but it's, it's, you know, it, it should give Oregon fans a lot of hope based on, like we've talked about for a bit, the fact that the coaching staff is bought in, the fact that the coaching staff is done, even um, that's a that's a huge thing. And then the fact that they have a a respectable and sizable recruiting class in twenty twenty two that's huge as well.
1: We know the the coaching staff isn't done at a, a certain ACC program uh, might be in the state of Florida. Uh, the Hurricanes <laughs> are still waiting to uh, you know fill out that staff, and um, that's a whole other conversation. But Dylan, I want to talk about uh, another guy that the Ducks were able to get in the fold today in their 2022 class, a, a local guy in the Pacific Northwest. We talked a, lot, a little bit about him earlier, but uh, Dave Uley, uh offensive lineman out of Puyallup. Um, You know, here's another awesome graphic if you guys are on YouTube that that Dylan put together for us. Uh, how, about, how about you tackle this one and, and kind of, uh, you know, get started for us?
2: Yeah. So I, I feel like I'm in a similar position than I was, uh, you know, just a month and a half ago where, you know, I I said that Mario Cristobal wasn't going to leave Miami. And I was like, you don't, or wasn't going to go to Miami. Wasn't going to leave Oregon. And I had to like, apologize. I think it was just the last stream where I said, I think it's going to come down to USC and Miami. Um, I think it's an uphill battle for Oregon. And I was wrong on that. Um, I think a lot of people were, I'm not alone in that, but I definitely think that, uh, you know, I thought it was, I definitely thought it was an uphill battle for Oregon to, to climb based on, you know, it just wasn't, it didn't seem like he was going to get that visit until the very end. Um, I hadn't really heard that they were, you know, trying to make an effort, didn't really see them make an in-house visit or anything like that. It just seemed pretty quiet. And then Miami came flying in, which wasn't really a surprise because of all the great things he said about You know, Mario Cristobal, Alex Mirabal, Joe Salovea, even like he loved that coaching staff and he talked about it in a video. You know, he had like a three year relationship with them. So that's that's a really hard thing to beat, especially when, you know, he came to Oregon the first time because of Mirabal and Cristobal. Like, that's a really hard thing to beat. And it was just this battle of priority. Like, does he want to play for the coaches that, you know, he's admired for three years and gotten along with so well? Does he want to stay closer to home? Um, you know, does he does he want to go to the NFL? Like, what is his top priority? I think with him, when he decommitted, my head went to USC because he talked about the NFL. He talked about the NIL. He talked about Los Angeles still playing fairly close to home. And, you know, my my head went there immediately just because I felt like it, it kind of checked those boxes. But when he talked about Oregon today, it still felt like what he was talking about before. Um, you know, when he committed to Oregon, it still felt like all those things matched. He talked about the love from the coaching staff, you know, the, the love from the other recruits, um, the love from the community and the fact that the Oregon fans never really died down and they never really kind of forgot about him. You know, I think it just it, it kind of reminded him when he was on that visit, just why he committed in the first place. And so, um, you know, speaking more to him as a player, I mean, him, he's just a mauler. I think, and when we hopped on a live after he committed the first time, I think I said something about if football doesn't work out, he can work at IHOP and be a pancake mar- uh, artist, something like that. I think that was him.
1: I feel like um, I remember you saying that.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the guy is, you know, 6'5", 3'15". Uh, he's athletic. He's versatile. He can move him inside or out um, and he can just straight up move dudes. He can straight up bully dudes. And that's what this Oregon offensive line should be about. You know, Mario Cristobal and Mirabal brought that, you know, built that up, uh, prioritizing the trenches and just being powerful, being dominant up front. And I think with Adrian Klam, with his NFL experience and his collegiate experience, I don't feel like that's really going to die down. Um, And Dave Uli is a guy that will make any program better. And I don't expect him to, um, you know, probably be a day one starter. I think he has the talent to definitely do so. But I just think that with so many guys returning, um, it would be hard for me to see him getting, um, you know, the starting nod over somebody that's got a couple years of experience at this point. Um, in terms of the future, I mean, this guy's a guy that can be a staple of the offensive line for a long time to come. And you know, it, it's awesome that he comes back to Oregon, and we're talking about him as a as a Oregon Duck once again.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate
1: You had a lot of great points, Dylan, just kind of uh, about where things kind of st- stood from a recruiting standpoint after he uh, decommitted. Um, I, I definitely have to, you know, kind of fess up in, in the same vein as as I really thought this was, I, I didn't make a prediction, but I was kind of the way I was talking. I thought it was going to come down to Miami and USC or maybe a Miami versus Oregon since the Ducks got the last visit. And I was kind of giving some, uh, I I was given a lot of credence and, and, you know, put a lot of faith in in Alex Mirabal and Mario Cristobal because of that long relationship that they built. Um, But, you know, at the same time, um, I I did remember how we were talking since you, you were kind of our lead insider leading up to his first commitment about how important family was. And, you know, this could very well be an example, uh, another example rather of, you know, those thousands of miles seem like they stretch even further and they become that much more real in those final hours um, you know, leading up to your commitment and, and really having to, uh, you know, accept the fact that you could be thousands of miles away from your family on on the other side of the country. Um, and it really did seem like, you know, this this is uh, Eugene was where his his heart was and and where he wanted to be. Uh, I got to give credit to Adam Gornia of Rivals. He did an awesome interview with with, uh, with Dave uh, over on YouTube. And the the fav- my favorite part of the whole thing was was when he was asked about Dan Lane and and he basically said, you know. When they talk about Dan, Dan the man, it's because he's that man and he <laughs> like the one of the coolest things perhaps about Yuli aside from his play on the field is just how diff, how much different of a person he is off of it. I've never met the guy. I've never talked to him personally. I'm trying to maybe get him on this podcast someday. That'd be an awesome guest. But the dude just exudes so much energy. He's just having fun with everything. Probably has right now. I'd say my favorite commitment video of the 2022 class. You guys can see those uh, over on Twitter, and then these guys post them on their Instagrams too. So I try to you know retweet those and, and make sure that they're out there. Uh, you had Dan Landing doing the haka in, in Dave's commitment video, um, and uh, it was just it was just a, a work of art. And I really like how they're capitalizing the momentum. Another thing that I also just wanted to hit on, you alluded to it a little bit let's give Adrian Clem some credit and the rest of that offensive line staff. Um, I think that you, you have that NFL experience. It's definitely going to be something that you can still sell. Um, It was cool to, to, you know, get to kind of meet him virtually with uh, you know, the, the coaches show earlier today, but I think another reason this is really important uh, Dylan is because a lot of this class is super defensive, heavy, defensive, heavy, it's heavy defense. I don't know what the correct wording is there, but um, it's a defense heavy class the, the guys that they have in the fold now. So I think it is important to, to show that they can get, you know, a, a, another guy on offense too, and, and make some noise there. But what was interesting, and maybe we could kind of use this as the, the wrapping point on, on Yuli, cause we're already up to 40 minutes when he was announced in his commitment video. I don't know if you caught this detail. It said O-line slash D-line. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if, if, you know, he's maybe a guy that could, that is going to contribute on the defensive line. But um, you know, we, we saw uh Jordan Riley coming over from uh, Nebraska. He's another huge body. Uh, Sam Timani is another big guy. Uh, you know, you, you're talking about multiple guys there to 300 plus pounds. But um, this dude's a Mauler, regardless of what side of the ball he's playing on, as you can see here on the tape.
2: Yeah. So I know that when we were talking over the summer, and by the way, you you talked about his his character and his uh, charisma. He, you know, sometimes when you just are talking to recruits after recruits after recruit uh, recruits like you know there's some that stand out more than others and I felt like when uh, he answered the phone I just kind of like uh, I let up because the dude is just full of energy he's so much fun to talk to and Oregon fans I think are going to absolutely love him and I can't wait for the spring when he gets to talk to the media because I feel like everybody should should get to know him and his uh, his character but um, I know that the last staff was recruiting him mostly as an offensive lineman because I think that's Um, most of his experience Um, but having that versatility in his back pocket is is obviously huge Um, and you talked about the depth they already are starting to um, accrue at the defensive line I I don't think they'd probably try to move him up front on the defense as well um, just because of how dominant he looks as an offensive lineman and how much film there is on him I would imagine that that's probably where they're gonna have him um, on this roster with this staff um, and in that system Um, But yeah, I think just having a bunch of guys that are huge bodies that are versatile. I mean, look at DJ Johnson, um, maybe not the biggest body, but he's definitely a a supreme athlete that you can put, um, you know, on as a tight end or um, as a defensive lineman. So um, they've got a bunch of guys and I'm sure we'll talk about another one in Jackson Powers Johnson here soon. Um, You know, I, I know Dan Lanning really likes versatile guys and he's got another one in Dave Uley for sure.
1: All right, All, a lot of great stuff on, on Dave Uli. Uh, we have one more, uh, you know, commit that we want to talk about before we, uh, we dig into some questions and, and talk about the Jackson Powers Johnson news because I, I think that's definitely another uh, significant uh, point that we have to hit on. But the the last guy that the Ducks got uh, in the twenty twenty two class, uh, as far as today, Wednesday, February second, National Signing Day, was uh, Central Catholic High School uh, linebacker Marion Winston. Uh, He is the uh, brother of former duck uh, Lamar Winston. And um, it's it definitely is another, you know, solid ad for the ducks to get Uh, another, you know, more highly rated guy uh, in state coming from the the Portland area. Um, And uh, Dylan, how about you talk about this guy a little bit while I see if I can uh, grab some highlights so we can share it with the audience.
2: Yeah, I think this is a, another versatile guy on on defense. I mean, he's a guy who can you know put his hand down and rush the quarter uh, quarterback as a as an edge rusher, and he's a guy that can drop back and um, you know defend the run and and drop back in coverage as a linebacker. Um, I think there are a couple of different people that say he's an edge versus he's a, a linebacker, and I think he's one of those hybrid guys that you kind of need that can do both. Um, you know, with this defense, it kind of remains to be seen how some of those edge versus linebacker guys will be used. I know Tim DeRitter's defense, they were pretty heavy on that compared to um, Andy Avalos' defense. They like to, you know, with Kayvon, he liked to rush him off the edge and also drop him back into coverage. Um, if if the defensive scheme looks like that with Lapoy and Poich, I think a Marion Winston is a guy that can fit right in with that. Um, he's super explosive. I think that's one of the first things that pops off to me. Uh, he's a pretty light guy for a guy that can play off the edge, 240 um but he's, he's super quick super athletic kind of reminds me of brayden swinson when he was coming out of high school just kind of that you know slimmer guy lighter guy but can really explode and really get after a guy with the ball um you know he finds ways to get to the ball he, re, he forces fumbles um you know he's he's taken a couple of fumbles back i think um you know and gets a couple gets his hand on a couple of footballs so you love to see that but yeah i mean i think the versatility is huge. Um, a guy that can play linebacker wherever you need him off the edge. I think the edge is probably on this roster where I'd see him get the most playing time just because you have to replace cave And you have a couple guys who aren't really true edge rushers, but guys that can play off the edge. Um, I think that's a guy that, you know, he can make his name off the edge and, you know, adding a former uh, uh, commit as well. And a guy from Oregon, we talked about that a little bit, a guy from Oregon, a guy from the Portland area, um, that's huge. I feel like he might've been one of the first guys that Dan Lanning visited. Cause he said today that, you know, his first day when he could get out on the road, he went to the Portland area, which is where mm-hmm. Marion's at. So it wouldn't be surprised if he was one of the first guys that Lanning visited.
1: Yeah. One of the biggest challenges for, for this coaching staff is going to be replacing Kayvon Thibodeau and, you know, just, I think with, with the timing, uh, you know, of the coaching transition and, you know, where things were kind of add on the recruiting calendar. I'm not sure if you're not going to find a guy that's going to replace a KT, you know, like a plug and play kind of deal. You're certainly not going to find him out of the portal. I don't think because if you have those really high end guys, they're, they're probably not looking to, to, you know, move schools. Uh, I think you're probably going to have to rely more so on the, uh, you know, prep ranks as we see with the ducks getting uh, a Marion Winston here. And um, I, I think that he's, I don't expect, you know, I'm not projecting that kind of, you know, production or anything, but, uh, you know, after talking with John Garcia, the director of recruiting for us at SI, um, you know, he, he told me that he sees, uh, you know, Winston projecting a little bit more as a, a guy who's going to put his hand in the dirt for the Ducks. So uh, I think you you add him to, to kind of shore up your depth a little bit at the position for sure. You get another in-state guy, which is great. You know, you can join Braden Swinson and, and Trevin Maie, uh Adrian Jackson, Mace Funa and kind of learn under their tutelage. Um, and, you know, you're getting a guy that's super motivated and already really bought into the program. It's literally in his blood. I know he was saying after his commitment today that, that uh, you know, how cool of a story would it be for, for me to play at the same spot that my brother played at. And then he said, uh, you know, kind of putting in a little playful touch, you know, and for the younger brother to be better. Uh, so, you know, he's really motivated to, to put his best foot forward and, and to, you know, make a name for himself at Oregon. And uh, I think you, you, you fill a position in need. Um, you know, from, from a roster standpoint and, uh, you know, he also gets to reunite with Trajan Williams, you know, they're posting pictures today saying, you know, this is kind of the childhood dream and we're reunited playing for the ducks. So, uh, just overall, uh, a, a really great story with the ducks picking up Winston.
2: I feel like Trajan Williams, we talked about it a little bit that, you know, maybe that was something that, um, you know, kind of had him bought in and he was able to sign was, um, you know, a Mary coming back. Cause. Uh Trajan didn't sign during the early signing period. And Amarion Winston decommitted pretty late, if I remember right. I think it was like later in December when he decommitted. Um, I don't remember exactly when it was. Um, but I feel like, you know, Trajan has always seemed to be bought in with Oregon. I think he got a couple other offers, but um, I don't remember him taking any other visits. So he was one of those guys you kind of expected to still sign with Oregon, um, but kind of still look around and see what the coaching staff was going to do and prioritize um, and I think that getting his good friend and another in-state guy from, um, you know, from Oregon and Winston, um, I feel like that kind of pushed the needle for him to, to go ahead and sign the deal.
1: You mean what, you mean Williams?
2: Yeah. Or,
1: okay, cool. Yeah. I think the only other visit that, that, uh, I saw on social media for Winston was Florida. So, uh, you know, we saw with Winston, uh, you know, the pump faking that was really rampant all throughout, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the land out, out, out all throughout the country today for, for whatever reason, that's been a, a big trend. We don't have to get into that too much. Um, but yeah, I, I know we've now talked about all three recruits that committed to the Ducks today. Uh, like we talked about, uh, Trajan Williams did put the pen to paper. So the Ducks got to, to ink one of their, uh, you know, top unsigned commits that was kind of still, uh, still up there. But now uh, we're, we want to get into a little bit of uh, kind of some Q&A stuff, talking about your guys' comments and, and uh, seeing what, what's on your guys' mind. Uh, one of the biggest topics that we wanted to touch on was uh, how Dan Laning said that uh, true freshman offensive lineman Jackson Powers Johnson is going to be starting spring practice uh, playing on defense. So you look at the defensive line, and then we have uh, Nick's comment here saying uh, on the screen Jackson Powers will be a great defensive tackle and um yeah i i mean i think it's it says a lot about where the roster's at and the depth that they've uh, accrued uh, along the defensive line to to have the uh you know luxury i think really um you know to to be able to put jackson uh, on the defensive line we saw a very limited sample size of that uh during the Alamo Bowl um which i think you kind of have to take with a grain of salt right with with so many of the coaches you know, lo- no longer here and uh, you know, people not playing for, for both teams, whether it be injury or opt outs. But Jackson is just a, a supreme athlete from what I've been able to to see. And uh, I think when he was, uh, you know, going to camps on the recruiting trail coming out of high school, he he did post some clips of him, you know, doing some defensive line work. And and I think that the potential is there. It's just a, a really a, a great kid that that just wants to get on the field and, and, and make an impact. You know, he says, I just like being violent uh, and he just wants to go wherever the team needs him.
2: Yeah, I'm looking at his uh, bio on Go Ducks right now, and uh, it looks like he finished his high school career at Corner Canyon. uh, Had 124 tackles, 20 tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks, two interceptions, eight passes deflected, and a forced fumble. So this is not completely new to him. And obviously at the end of last year with the Ducks, he got to play in the Alamo Bowl along the defensive line. Uh, Actually started up front, I believe, in the Alamo Bowl on the defensive line. Um, So I I really like that. I think – I don't want to say you're set along the offensive line, but you kind of know what your rotation is going to be with so many guys returning. You got some young guys in the fold as well, but um, I think Jackson Powers Johnson is one of those guys that is going to produce. And he's one of those guys that can help out. Like you said, uh, he just wants to produce. He just wants to get in there and, you know, knock some dudes over no matter what side of the ball he's on. And I'm excited to see it. Um, Do you know if he's going to be playing along the offensive line still as well, or are they completely shifting him? Um, we didn't really
1: get that, that in depth, uh, as far as, you know, that, um, you know, that question, but I, I think, you know, it, it's definitely good to, to be able to kind of move him around a little bit and, and see where things are. I uh, got some of his high school highlights put on uh, the screen here. So hopefully we can get a little bit of a better, uh, sense of, you know, kind of what he looks like on defense. But I think just kind of going off that, I think about, uh, DJ Johnson, you know, coming back for another year. I think he's another guy that you definitely want to have focus on uh, defense uh, in this coming year. I think with, with Maliki Montevideo and Terrence Ferguson and then Cam McCormick's coming back, you have hopefully Patrick Herbert's going to be healthy. Um, you, you feel pretty confident and comfortable, I think, about the tight end depth right now to, to be able to have DJ Johnson and Jackson Powers uh, Johnson uh, on uh, the defensive line. So we'll have to see how that, uh, you know, uh, experiment ultimately uh, works out, but you also have guys like, uh, um, you know, John's talking about, uh, Brandon Dorliss and, and Popo Amavai, uh, they're also gonna, you know, be guys that are, you know, competing in that room. So, um, you know, Dan Lanning just talked about, uh, when I asked him about the the trenches and kind of why he's prioritizing that. And he just said, you know, the, the best teams that I've played on have won the line of scrimmage flat out. So um, I, I think this is a, another move that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I'm excited to see, uh, you know, what, what Jackson can do along the defensive line.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited to see that defensive line um, coming into the offseason. It felt like that was going to be one of the key things. It felt like last season, too, before last season, uh, that defensive line just needed some, some more beef. And they got a ton of it. And adding Jackson Powers Johnson to it, you know, is a very athletic guy. Um, he's a guy that can play. Really inside or out along the defense, uh, along the offensive line, and um, you know could play in the middle on defense as well. Um, It's going to be really fun to see him get coached by you know Tony Tuioti. Um, I I wouldn't hate to see him along the offensive line either. He he was a plug and play guy, got a lot of experience in the middle of last season too. So um, I think no matter what he does, he's going to produce and be really fun to watch because he's you know another one of those charismatic dudes, and I'm just. Thinking about a locker room with, with him and Dave Uli. That's that's going to be a lot of fun.
1: No doubt about it. All right, Jackson Powers Johnson uh, looks like he could get some some time uh, along the defensive line next year. So we got a, a big storyline already to to watch heading into um, heading into spring ball. So let's see uh, some of the other questions and, and comments that we have here. Uh, this one's coming from Gerard Barry. Thanks for tuning in, Gerard. He's uh, become a regular. Uh, you know, f- friend of the, of the program here uh, at Duck's Dish. Uh, he asks, can you discuss how the scholarship limits work? I believe the limit is 85 and that uh, Oregon is currently at or almost at 85. Can they ever be over 85? Do they have to be down to 85 by a certain date? Yeah, Gerard, I'm going to be honest. This is a, an area that I really do need to dig into a little bit more um, as far as, you know, the scholarship math goes. Um, I, I think that, you um, kind of, just to kind of, I guess, give an educated guess, I I would think that they need to be down to 85. I I don't know, Dylan, what do you think? Like fall camp? Certainly by the start of the season, um, I I feel like being over 85 or kind of flirting with that limit during the off season probably isn't that big of a deal. But at the same time, maybe I could be totally wrong in in saying that, seeing that you got to get guys here, get them enrolled in classes, see who's here on, you know, Oregon will probably get some preferred walk-ons kind of coming in here as well. And then, how, uh, how much eligibility some of these transfers have left. So it's, it's really got a lot of moving parts, and that, that's kind of the, the most that I have to say about it right now. But I think that also speaks to just how selective they've been. Um, Landing did get asked about the additions of Andrew Boyle, the Washington State transfer kicker, and Jordan Riley, who we talked about earlier in the pod coming over from Nebraska. Um, but I think just with how recently they, uh, um, they committed – uh, I think there's still some, uh, you know, compliance and, and signing paperwork and, and you know, things of that matter that need to be worked out because he said that he wasn't able to to talk to in depth on that.
2: Yeah, and I know Boyle officially signed today from what I saw. I don't know if Jordan Riley did just yet, but uh, yeah, I, I can't really speak too much to um, the scholarship limit. It's not something I'm uh, super... Um, intelligible on, like, I, it's not something I can explain, I guess, um, you know, any better than Max can, but um, I feel like they're, they're kind of close. I know James crepia with the Oregonians been, been tweeting about it often. Um, and he seems, I think he's always the one that's asking about it as well. And I think he said there were around like 80, 81 or something like that, but there are still a couple guys on the roster that like, you know, the status is un, uncertain, um, you know, and there's still people to add to the transfer portal um, potentially. So, um, I, I feel like they're probably close. Maybe they can add a couple more people. Um, cause I know Dan Lanning was talking about how there's still, you know, a couple of places that you could probably enhance your program. He never really says we're, um, you know, we're, we have a need or something like that. He always says, we're trying to enhance, um, that position. So, um, I'd probably say they have a couple more, but that's just, that's kind of an educated guess as well.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, hopefully, you know, not, not the most complete answer that we wanted to give you guys, but hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, helped paint the picture a little bit better and, and still give you some, some useful insight. Uh, Micah time. Thanks for the, the joining the show and thanks for your comment. Uh, he says, I really wish Trey Benson didn't, uh, he said trade here, but I think transfers is what he means. Six two SEC build. Yeah. Trey Benson's a guy that I, I was super excited about, you know, coming out of Greensville high school um, or no, sorry, it wasn't Greensville high school, but it was Greensville, Mississippi uh out there in you know the southeast he was a guy i was excited about with you know him being a bigger back i think he was the biggest back on oregon's roster even last year so i'm going to touch down against stony brook i think the thing that was really exciting and, uh, and intriguing about him is that he had that that size but he also had that speed i think you know coming out of high school i think he was touted at, uh, and clocked at, at as a 4 4 guy um, which is pretty remarkable when, when you look at, you know, the, the frame that he was carrying, you know, I think it was six, two in that 205, 210 pound, maybe even 215. I, I don't remember what he was listed at last season uh, specifically, but um, I, you know, st- stuff happens, you know, he obviously got banged up, which I'm sure hampered his progress clearly. Um, but the, the running back room has really been one of the most fascinating positions to follow for Oregon. Cause um, I think I've said this in previous podcasts. You know, it's kind of usually overflowing with with talented guys that are you know hoping to get carries. Um, but um, you know, how long are you wait willing to wait in the wings? And then you know, during the course of this off season, uh, you know, prior to Jordan James joining the fold today, it was looking a little bit um, you know scary from a depth perspective. So. Uh, definitely wish Trey well over at Florida State, and and I think that uh you know could be a great fit for him with with how they look like they're um you know maybe trending in the right direction, trying to get that back on track with uh, uh Norvell.
2: Yeah, I think the fact that you lose a, a guy who's such a, a big body that that was tough to see as well. Um, I wasn't really surprised just based on um you know some of the movement that happened in that running backs room, um, and now it looks like Cardwell is going to be the biggest back of them all. He's listed right now at six foot two ten. Um, And just to go back on what you were talking about with Benson's size, he was listed at at 6'1", 215 um, on last year's roster. Excuse me. But uh, Sean Dollars and 7 McGee, those guys are, uh, I mean, a bit smaller, a bit speedier guys. Um, So maybe, you know, I I mean, Jordan James is a guy who's 5'10", 205. You know, he's he's a guy that can play with power. Um, And so is Cardwell. Um, So it makes me wonder if maybe they try to add one more, maybe a guy that's Um, kind of a power back a third down short yardage guy Um, I feel like you're still kind of safe with Cardwell in that position or even a guy like Jordan James Um, so for me I'd say it's it's always nice to have uh, you know one of those huge running backs but I mean you can't count out a guy like Cardwell bulking up over the offseason I mean maybe he you know puts on some weight and maybe he comes in at 220 225 who knows All right, getting some some good
1: discussion on the the running back position. Um, Dylan, we are at an hour, but I wanted to to check in with you. Maybe we, are you cool to go a little bit longer while we hit on some of these questions?
2: Let's do it. I'm having a good time.
1: All right, I'm having a great time too. Uh, I just need to make sure I get some food in my stomach uh, after (laughs) this crazy day. So we'll hit on some more of these guys, and then um, I'm planning to go live again tomorrow. So definitely want to come back for the the next uh, live stream here. Uh, at Oregon Football Max Torres on YouTube. So Breezy has our next uh comment. Thanks for your comment, Breezy. Really says a lot about Lanning after he got this man talking about Yuli to, to recommit after Cristobal had a year and a half to build a relationship and Landy Lanning landed him after two weeks. Uh, I'm here for all the Dave Yuli talk. What do you think about this one, Dylan?
2: Yeah, it's it kind of goes to you know what I was talking about before and what Yuli said about um, I think he said it goes as far back as three years with, with Cristobal and, and Mirabal. Um, and, and, you know, he talked so highly of those guys. It just seemed like he was completely bought in. I feel like if, if Cristobal and Mirabal maybe went to a, a program closer, maybe in the PAC 12, or at least in the, on the West coast, maybe we're, we're not talking about him coming back to Oregon. Cause I know, you know, how big a factor those guys played into, into his recruitment. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's super impressive. The fact that it it just seems so quiet with, with him in Oregon. Um, you know, he decommitted on Christmas Eve, I believe. Um, not to rhyme there, but I believe that was around the time when he decommitted. Um, you know, and it, it just seemed like there wasn't a whole lot of movement. I know he took that visit to Miami and it was like, oh, I mean, maybe he's changing his priority a little bit because that's, that's 3,300 miles away from Puyallup, Washington, where he's from, which is like less than an hour north of where I'm at. Um, and so I'm, I'm really impressed with with Dan Lanning and Adrian Clem and the fact that they were able to bring him back for that last visit and the fact that, you know, they won him over. And I, I'm not sure if, you know, Oregon was kind of the front runner for him. I, I would probably take an educated guess and say that, you know, he was probably bouncing around between different priorities with, you know, USC and Miami. I don't think USC got an official visit since he decommitted, um, I know we were talking about that before, but I didn't see anything about one. Um, I think it was just Miami and Oregon because, of course, he had the, the Polynesian Bowl as well in Hawaii. So um, maybe some of those, you know, other recruits played a role because there were a couple Oregon guys that were at the Polynesian Bowl. Ben Roberts and Kawika Rogers were, were out there. Um, and so maybe that helped play a role a little bit. Um, and, of course, being as close as possible to home, I think that was great. But he talked so highly of the coaching staff you know, when I was talking about it in the last stream, that's kind of something I forgot about was just, you know, the effort that this coaching staff could make to get him back. Um, Cause it just didn't seem like we we knew anything about that effort and it was definitely there. Uh, it's worth mentioning.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt. I would, I would, uh, you know, venture to say that that visit really sealed the deal uh, for, for Yuli, And uh, he becomes, you know, the, the crown jewel of the Oregon offensive line hall, which now also includes Michael Wooten, and uh, Kavika Rogers and the Ducks still have uh, you know the um, possibility and the uh, you know chance to add Josh Connerly a five-star offensive lineman out of Rainier Beach in the Seattle area so we can talk a little bit about him uh, as we make our way through the comments here and the questions Steve says I think the play oh no that wasn't the one I was looking for sorry (laughs) it was it was this one Uh, I hope Lenny and his assistant coaches attend games at Matthew Knight Arena and meets at Hayward Field to get the full effect of the Oregon Ducks sports. That's a great point. I mean, you saw how crazy the the fans went, you know, when they when they saw him at the Oregon State game over the weekend. You know, I had some of those pictures from our awesome photographer, Scott Bolt. Definitely go give him a follow if you guys are looking for more Oregon content. He does a lot of great work. But yeah, I mean, you you see how how energized the fans are and, and they just, you know, they're they're fanatics. They really are just, they're, they're crazy for their Oregon football and their Oregon sports. And uh, I think that's only going to help, you know, uh, you know, b- improve his standing in the relationship with, uh, you know, the, the Oregon community. And and then as far as Hayward field goes, this is kind of another kind of circles back to another point from today. Uh, Lenny was talking about signing. I think it was nine guys that, that had track track and field background and, um, you know, adding a lot of speed and just that versatility, especially on defense is going to be really valuable um, and that was another aspect I think of, of Oregon football being fun that that kind of comes to mind that we were talking about earlier, Dylan, is having some of those guys maybe play both football and participate in track and field. Um, but to Steve's point here, yeah, it's it's definitely you got to get out there. I've never covered a meet or been to a meet at Hayward Field, unfortunately, but I run by it almost every day just out on my runs. Uh, and then you know the the atmosphere at Matthew United is is definitely something that you want to be a part of.
2: Yeah, I got to uh, you know just a. To- talk about Hayward field. I got to be outside of uh, Hayward field during one of those, uh, I think it was the uh, national championships, I believe uh, at Hayward field over the summer in June. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's a, it's an awesome atmosphere and it's not just ducks fans either. Um, but of course there's, was majority ducks fans because it's, it's right there. But um, the fact that they were able to come to, to the Matthew Knight arena and go, you know, for a rivalry game, I think was huge. Um, and the fact that it was against a, a three and 14, three and 15 team, um, and, and they were able to pull that crowd of 10,700 plus, uh, was super impressive. You know, I, I, was trying to do the transcription story for, um, for that speech. And you know, it was hard to hear over the crowd, him talking sometimes it was, it was so loud. So, um, yeah, it's super exciting that they have some track athletes. I know specifically at wide receiver, I remember when, you know, Satania and, uh, you know, to Tyroa McMillan decommitted, it was like, you know, we you really want to see that those track guys at receiver, um, you know, and they, they've got track athletes all over, especially in this class. And I think Dan Lanning was saying something about, you know, I was fired up about this class, but coach Robert Johnson, the, the track and field head coach at Oregon, he was, he was fired up too. Um, and he wouldn't go into who specifically is who might go into track, but um, there, there are definitely a couple of guys, you know, maybe even Jolo Florence could be, one of the headliners that you could see running track. Cause that's a, that's a fast athletic dude as well.
1: Tons of speed coming in the secondary for the ducks in this 2022 signing class, Jaleel Florence, like you mentioned, Dylan also Jaleel Tucker, you know, the two guys out of Lincoln and San Diego, Kamari Terrell, uh, another guy uh, out of Texas in the secondary. That is another track guy. So tons of guys that could certainly, you know, potentially see some time uh, on the track at Hayward field. Next question coming from Stefan, Thanks for the questions, Stefan. Now that signing day is passed, how much contact are they even allowed to have with guys who didn't commit, like Connerly and Boardingham? This is a good question because those are definitely the the two biggest names that I think are still on the on you know Oregon's radar. Uh, it is a, a dead period, I believe, now that that we've uh, gotten through signing day. Um, so as far as I know, I think that means no in person contact. You know that we've saw the coaches going all over the country to to visit guys at their schools. Uh, so I would think that it's really kind of virtual now. Um, from, from what I can gather, I need to take a look at the recruiting calendar, but, uh, you know, we saw how, how hard they hit their recruiting show virtually, right. When, when these guys got hired on their phones, on FaceTime, on social media and all that. Um, but, uh, the guy that they got to watch right now. Um, you know, when I last talked to him, it looks like a decision could be coming, uh, maybe Friday or even going into next week and Oregon and Florida are really locked in a 50, 50 battle, but I think the Ducks feel good about where they're at there
2: yeah i can't speak too much to uh you know how much contact are allowed i do know it's a dead period so um but i mean you know you think about last year there was you know jt2 Malal was a guy that didn't commit till a couple weeks before fall camp um you know you always have to think about there's some of those guys that you know just are trying to make sure that they've got the the calculated decision i know Connerly i believe is going to be committing in march if i'm not mistaken yep um and, and it's nice that Boardingham is, is uh, coming close to a decision. Um, so I, I think it's going to be interesting that, um, you know, they're still on the race with Connerly, even after getting Dave Uley and recently getting Rogers um, at the offensive line, but that's, you know, still one of the most talented guys, um, if not the most talented guy uh, remaining in the 2022 class that's left uncommitted um, in Connerly and Boardingham is just a, a freak athlete. So if they can get him over Florida, I know you said it's, it's 50, 50. So I uh, can't put too much speculation to that, but if they can get him, that's that's a huge weapon.
1: Yeah, Ducks got the last visit for boarding him there, so we we already talked about how you know influential that can be in these guys' decisions, um, and you know, getting uh, you know, getting close to the being close to the family rather, uh, and um, you know, maybe playing closer to uh, you know his native Los Angeles versus going all the way out to uh, you know Gainesville. Uh, Van Nuys is actually where he's from. I'm not sure how, how close that is to uh, Los Angeles. I don't want to be throwing people's hometowns out there incorrectly, but Southern California, nonetheless. Uh, so definitely uh, someone to, to keep an eye on there. And, and I know Connolly is going to be a priority for them as well. Last question for us here on this episode of the Ducks Just Podcast comes from Nine Family Bryce. Current position needs after today. Um, I think right now you, you definitely have to look at uh, you know adding another offensive playmaker. I think particularly at the wide receiver spot, that's the one that really sticks out to me the most. And I think the one that a lot of fans are, are really surprised that they haven't uh, made made a move for or added anybody uh, at that position. Uh, you know, Bordyham's obviously a guy that could, that could fit that need. Um, but maybe, I don't know, like you talked about earlier how you know, we talked about making those three graphics because those are the guys who kind of felt the best about Oregon's chances. But I thought they were maybe going to pull a surprise and then still get, you know, kind of a splashy guy that, that people weren't expecting. So Chase Coda still hasn't made his announcement. Maybe that's another guy to keep an eye on. Um, you know, he's obviously an Oregon guy coming from South Medford. Um, and uh, that, that's really kind of the, the main need that I think right now Maybe another linebacker. Um, I, I like kind of how they've shorted up the depth and in, uh, in the secondary uh, offensive line, isn't a huge need. Uh, and then defensive line, they've maybe even overcompensated. I don't know. I, I feel like they have the, that was part of the reason I think the Riley addition surprised some folks, but those are the biggest ones I'd say wide receiver. And, and maybe a linebacker kind of for me.
2: Yeah. I think maybe, um, you know, it might still be nice to add an experienced running back. Um, you know, uh, maybe a bigger experienced running back. Like we were talking about a little bit. I don't think it's probably at the top of their priority list, but uh um, you know, there, there's a lot of youth in that running back room. So maybe it's something to keep in mind. Um, I agree with the playmaker on offense. I think you can always add another receiver. I'm, I'm surprised that they're uh, you know, they haven't landed a experienced receiver via the portal. Cause we know that they were looking for one. Uh Jacob Cowan got an offer. I'm sure Brennan Rice was, was in the conversation. Um, so I, I'm sure that, you know, maybe that's still somewhere that they're looking for. Um, I feel like on defense, they're kind of set. I, if I had to say, um, maybe you add another guy on the defensive edge, like a true edge rusher, really hard to find, really hard to ask for. But, um, you know, maybe that's maybe that's something to try to consider. Because it seems like a lot of the guys that, like I said earlier, that play on the edge, it just seems like they're, um, you know, you can move them in the middle, you can move them on the outside, you can move them to linebacker, like, um, it's hard to find true edge guys, but maybe that's something to, to look for as well. But I feel like at the prep ranks, I think Connerly and Boardingham are kind of the last couple that I know of. So maybe from here on out, um, it's probably through the transfer portal.
1: We'll have your latest recruiting updates as the the Ducks kind of uh, still wait for some decisions from a couple guys like Dylan and I have talked about. Uh, before we get out of here, Dylan, where can people find you?
2: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DRK Sports News. I'm tweeting a lot of Oregon stuff, and my notifications have been going nuts. So uh, go ahead and add to that if you would like. Um, You can find my stuff at Ducks Digest. I'm sure Max will plug where you can find everything on Ducks Digest. And I'm also working with the Transfer Portal CFB. Find us at TPortalCFB on Twitter and TransferPortalCFB.com.
1: All right. Awesome stuff there from Dylan. If you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at the name right there on your screen at M sports. Uh, and then just also wanted to pass along a, a couple places you guys can find us. Uh, only favor we ask of you is that you obviously subscribe to the channel if you haven't already and hit that notification bell so that you don't miss the next time that I go live with Dylan or, or Steve, uh, Steven or any of our other guys at ducks digest, uh, but also check out Ducks, Ducks Digest forums. Uh, you see that on your screen there. We, we have a couple different categories for various topics, whether it's football, football recruiting. I dropped some some nuggets there uh, for recruiting every now and then, um, and then hoops as well. So we got it all there. We're really trying to build this community at, at Ducks Digest and, and here on the Ducks Digest Podcast. So I um, ask that you guys check this out. It's, it's free, and uh, it's another way for, for us to connect. And, um, you know, you can have some awesome conversations, some good duck talk with uh, fellow Oregon fans. And then uh, just the last thing. um, Oh, I have to address uh, Greg's comment here. I thought you were wearing a Beavers Uh, (laughs) t-shirt. No, this is a San Francisco Giants shirt. I'm from the Bay Area, so I'm just repping my team. No, no cause for concern there. Um, But yes, so uh, just wrapping up the other platforms you guys can find us at. Uh, if you look over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we're at DucksDish for all of those. And then if you go into my Twitter profile, you can find the free Ducks Digest newsletter. I try to send that out every day so you guys are kept up to date on the latest in Oregon sports news. That was a bunch of stuff. Uh, we went out well over an hour today, and we're trying to do more of these lives. I'll be back here on YouTube Live tomorrow. Stay tuned for the details. Big thanks to Dylan for all the tremendous work he's been doing and for coming on the pod today. And thank you to everybody here uh, tuning in, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Appreciate you guys for supporting, and we will catch you guys in the next episode. Take care.